0: The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Our memory verse is... Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. So thankfully, it's not about me. It's not about my message. It is truly about God's message. And that's what I'm going to try to do today. I'm going to try to just really focus on letting Scripture speak about Scripture. And so, um, all right. So we are covering uh, 1 John 5, 1 through 12. I want to go ahead and start off uh, with this quote. So Martin Luther said, God, our Father, has made all things depend on faith, so that whoever has faith will have everything, and whoever does not have faith will have nothing and um, so you know John the first uh, John, second John, third John, even the book of John uh, to me, whenever I read through it, it just seems very scattered, and so i kind of I kind of struggle a little bit with his way of of speaking. But um, I think that really, as we go through this, we can see that um, in these 12 verses that faith really is kind of the key that draws all of this together. Um, so just a little bit of review. So uh, it's thought that the gospel of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John were all written by uh, one of Jesus' disciples, John, who was one of what's considered to be his inner circle. So these were the, uh, these were the disciples who spent the most amount of time with him, um, uh, It was written probably around 90 AD. So by this point, a lot of Jesus' disciples had already been martyred, and so John was one of the few remaining left. And so that kind of put him in a position of authority. Uh, You know, the younger Christians were able to look to him uh, and This is kind of important, and we'll see why in just a little bit. I would say the purpose is really summed up here in 1 John 5.13. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. But really, you know, all throughout the book of 1 John, he says, I am writing this to you because. And so some of the things he says, I'm writing this to you so that your joy may be complete. He says that in 1 verse 4. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin in 2 verse 1. In two twelve, it says, "I'm writing these things to you because your sins have been forgiven you for His name's sake." Um, in two verse twenty six, um, sorry, in two verse twenty one, it says, "I'm writing these things to you because you know the truth, and no lie is of the truth." In twenty six, it says, "I'm writing uh, to you to protect you from those trying to deceive." And then finally, in five verse thirteen, it says, "I'm writing to you that you may know." that you have eternal life. And so we can almost picture him as this spiritual father writing to his spiritual children. And that's really kind of the tone of the entire book. So let's go ahead and dive into the actual passage. So um, this is going to be out of the English Standard Version. And feel free to open up your Bible apps, Bibles, uh, or you can follow along up here. So it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So this brings us to our big picture, which I would say faith is the key resulting in eternal life, assurance of salvation, and it overcomes the world. And so for this passage, I kind of feel like the, like the key verse would be 1 John 5, 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So let's go ahead and jump into 5 verse 1. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And so the word believes this is not truly, this is not simply just head knowledge, just sure, fine, I believe it. Like, you know, I believe that I'm standing here. No, this is actually trusting, putting one's trust in, um, having faith. So this is truly like the person who jumps out of the airplane, trusting that his parachute's going to, going to take care of him. Um, John 1.12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Romans 10 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so, this is that concept. It's not just truly, it's not simply just a head knowledge. It's this trust. Um, now, going on a little bit, so what is it that they were supposed to believe? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. So, Jesus, of course, referring to our Savior. But Christ, this word, is the word for anointed Messiah. So this is this is the one that God promised all the way back to Adam that would come and save. This is God in human form coming to earth to save us from our sins, to redeem us. So whenever it's saying Jesus is the Christ, it's saying the person that believes that this man who is on earth is Christ, God, come to earth to die for us, uh, to die for our sins, that they've been born of God. Now this is pretty cool. So So I was, I don't know Greek, but I was looking up these words, the word born, father, and then again later in the verse born, it's all the same word, which is amazing. So, and that word, uh, that word is geneo. It's the same word from which we get genetics, um, genesis, genes. So to me, what this is saying, and the fact that he used the exact same word three times, it's really... It's really showing this super close family relationship, not actual, you know, physical genetics, but almost like spiritual genetics. And notice it says, um, that the one who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And then it says, everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. So, so we have that relationship with God, but so do the other believers, uh, which is, which is amazing. We're going to see that's important down the road as well. Um, So, uh, you know, 1 John 2.29 says, uh, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. That same word there. 1 John 3.9 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So this is the way that we're changed. Uh, And then it says, Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And so the word for love, it's the Greek word agapeo, from which we you know, talk about agape love. So this is the love that's always used of God. So whenever it says that God loves his son, whenever it says that God loves us, whenever it says God loves the world, it's always this word. So this is, this is the love that God has for us. This is that eternal love uh, that he has. And so actually, interestingly enough, any anytime in this passage that the word love is used, it's that specific type of love. Um, and so we see here in John thir- three thirty-five, the father loved the son and has given all things into his hands. So this is the type of love. This is the type of love that God the father loves his own son with. And then in John fifteen twelve, it says, this is my commandment that you love or agapeo one another as I have loved you. So the same type of love with which God loves his son, he loves us and we're to love others and we're to love God back. It's all the same type of love and it's God's love um so pastor trevor last week uh he went uh, through uh he went through and he talked about he asked the question so how does god love us and he had some great points so god loves us um he shows his love for us by giving us his spirit he said that he sent his son to be the savior of the world he casts out fear that's another way that god shows love to us he's the origin of love and causes us to love others. And then finally, he leads us to be genuine and true. So this is God's type of love. This is how he shows his love for us. And we are to love others in this same way. So 1 Corinthians 13, um, all of us have heard it at weddings, things like that. In fact, we even heard it just last week. Um, But this is the actual practicality. This is what that love should look like. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I don't know about you, but I feel miserably at this. The love that I have for other people and the love I have for God is not this type of love. Sometimes it is, and I'm growing in that. But, you know, so how is this supposed to work? You know, how do we get to love God more? How do we get to love other people more? It's not just about gritting our teeth and saying, well, I've got to love this person more. It's, it, if this is a struggle, the way that we do this is by getting to know God more, deepening our relationship with him, because as we know him more, we'll understand his love more. And as we understand his love more, we will naturally love him in that same way, and we will love those around us in that same way. So really, if we're struggling, if there are people in our lives that we're not loving, it's because we don't truly understand God's love for us and we need to continue getting to know him in a deeper way. Uh, So this brings us to our our first faith key point, Uh, and it would be based on this little passage. Faith is essential to our relationships as sons and daughters of God. All right, let's move on to the next small little section. So uh, verse 2 through 3, it says, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, this passage probably, even if you're not aware, probably struck a little nerve in you because obedience is completely countercultural. So, whenever we think about obedience, it's fine to not obey as long as you don't get caught, right? And um, even even in Christian circles, we don't like to talk about obeying God too much. But this is really important. Um, uh, a. W. Tozer said, "The Bible recognizes no faith." That does not lead to obedience, nor does it recognize obedience that does not spring from faith. The two are opposite sides of the same coin, and so looking at uh, looking at the word obey it 's literally to do so I mean in some ways that kind of seems intuitive, but if you really think about it to do that 's an action. this is an action, and literally talking about active obedience, seeking to obey God's commands. And really, if you think about it, God's commands are really for the good of us and those around us. Um, So so for example, those of us who are parents, we know that we love our children and we have rules for our children. And these rules are born out of our love for our children, not out of this hate or desire to control our children. It's because we really, truly love our children. Now, for most of us down the road, we take a look at some of the rules that we had and we're like... Okay, well, you know that might have been a little bit much. You know that's not necessarily in our children's best interest, but we thought it was. But see, here's the amazing thing: is that God knows our best interests. He truly knows our best interests, um, and because of that, these rules that He makes are just like the parents out of our best interests, with the exception that He doesn't misunderstand what's best for us. So these rules, these commandments that He's given us, are really truly for our good and born out of love. Um, so we can see here, here's an example. So Matthew five twenty one through 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So here we have two different but related uh, laws. So the Old Testament law, don't murder, and then Christ expounds on that. and He says, no, not just don't murder, but don't hold grudges. Don't be hateful towards each other. Don't hold bitterness in your heart toward each other. Well, so don't murder that's obvious why that's good for us and good for the community but you know not holding grudges not hating not being bitter towards each other you know so bitterness this can erode at us so i have literally known people who are so bitter and angry that it has literally caused them health problems um and then not to mention the bad that it is for the community and so this is an example of one of christ's commands that is for our own good and for the good of those around us. Uh, Matthew 22, 37 through 40 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So ultimately, everything comes down to love God and love others. And if you think about it, that really is for our own good. And... Um, And that is, so again, these commandments, these are born out of love for us. Um, We can see here that love and obedience go hand in hand. So it says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Um, And our love and obedience of God, this results naturally in us loving others. Um, So kind of like what I said before, you know, for a lot of us, obedience is actually very difficult It's very difficult to follow God's commands. We kind of want to, but we kind of don't want to. And you know, if this is difficult for us, if we're really struggling in certain sin areas, uh, the key, and I'm saying this for myself, I'm saying this for myself, the key really is to grow in our love for God. Um, Because as we grow in our love for God, as we understand his love better, we're going to just have this natural, deeper desire to obey him. Um, And then it says... uh, it says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Now burdensome, the word for that is heavy and weighty. You can see here this, uh, this do- poor donkey up here, and I wouldn't have put this slide up except that our pastors are gone. So, so, uh, so, this sl- so this poor donkey here, he is completely useless because he's burdened, right? I mean, he is so burdened that he can't do a single thing. And so whenever it says that Christ's commands are not burdensome to us, you know, I think that he's contrasting two different things. I think, first of all, he's contrasting the commands of the Pharisees. You know, so the Pharisees took God's commands and they expanded them. They said, "Oh yeah, so not only are you not to do this, or you're to do this, but we're going to add all of these extra things to it." And it became to the point where it was just completely impossible. Um, it says in Matthew twenty-three four, "They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders." but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So I think that what John's saying here is that Christ's commands are not burdensome as opposed to the Pharisees' commands. Um, but I think that he's also likely contrasting following Christ's commands with not keeping them. And here's what I mean by that. So, so all of us, we have our own sin struggles that we deal with. And whenever we're really struggling with those sins, we're really burdened, right? You know, We can feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Um, And that really just weighs on us. So for example, so I leave for work really early in the morning um, and occasionally I get into the habit of speeding, going pretty fast. Nobody's on the roads, you know, and I just, I don't know, it's just something that I struggle with. The entire time I'm speeding, like literally in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I hope there's not a cop. I hope there's not a cop. And you know, (laughs) I go past the car, I go past the car that's parked on the side of the road and my heart skips a beat. Well, a lot of times... I actually listen to God's conviction and I go the 65 miles per hour whenever nobody's on the freeway. And whenever I do that, I literally pass a cop and I'll smile and wave. You know, it's no big deal. Like I don't have that weight. I don't have that burden on me. So I think that God, I think that John here is really also contrasting, contrasting keeping God's commands with not keeping them as well. Um, And so this brings us to our next uh, faith key point, which is our faith gives us the freedom to obey God's commands. So um, let's go on to verse four through five. It Says, for everyone who is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world: our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So the word here, "born," it's the same as what we talked about in five one. It's that geneo referring to our relationship with God. Now, world, the word "world" here is really interesting. It's the word. It's the Greek word "cosmos." And it is used all different ways throughout the, throughout the New Testament. So, for example, whenever it says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world, he's not talking about the mountains and the dirt and the streams. It's, he's talking about the people of the world. But yet it says here in this passage, 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things of the world. It's the same word, it's just used differently. So we have to look at the, contra- at the, at the context. So, whenever it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, it's referring to the same thing that it's talking about whenever it says, For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And that would be the broken, sinful world system. And, you know, this is the difficulty because this is what we're born into, this is what we're part of. And um, But yet, this is also what we struggle against. Um, so, it says here, and this is the victory that overcomes the world: our faith. And so again, faith being this conviction of truth, trusting Christ's savings work on the cross. The word actually means persuasion or credence, um, and this is what allows us to overcome the world. So, so this truly is a battle. And looking at that word, overcome, the word is actually pretty cool. So it it means conquers or carries off into victory. So this really is showing us that it's this battle. You know, so here we are you know, saved, we're children of God, but yet we're still living in this broken world system, and so it's this battle. So we need something to overcome the world, and that thing is our faith. Uh, Romans 3.28 says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And then Ephesians two 2.8-9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Um. so, after it says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, it says, who is it who overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, again, there's that same word, believes. We talked about that before. So what about this Son of God? You know, what exactly does that mean? Um, this phrase is used all throughout the New Testament, and whenever it's used, it's really referring to Jesus Christ's divine nature, so, so his relation to God. He sacrificed himself as fully God for our sins, so that we could have this relationship with Him. So it's talking about it. Really, is talking about Christ's deity, but at the same time, His Him being our Savior. Um, and we see this. Uh, we see this in John one thirty four. It says, And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God." Uh, and then in Mark uh, fifteen thirty nine, the centurion even recognizes this. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way. He breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was the son of God. So again, this phrase, it's really emphasizing Jesus' deity and him being the savior of the world. Um, So going on to our next uh, faith key point for this particular passage, we see here that our faith gives us the victory over the world. All right, so verse six, and this is, This one was a little bit tricky, so this particular verse I really had to kind of dive into, Um, so bear with me for just a little bit. So this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. So, you know, of course, we've already talked a little bit about Jesus Christ. This is saying Jesus the Messiah, again, it's a point to him as our Savior, uh, stating that Jesus is God, came to earth to save us. But what's this water and blood thing? So, like, I literally got a blue letter Bible and I typed in water plus blood. And um, I came up with uh, John 19.34, which is great because it was also written by John, so it's very possible that John is referencing himself. Um, And it says, but when one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear... And at once there came out blood and water. So it's very possible that this right here is referring to Jesus' death, saying that basically God came to earth as the promised Messiah, and he died for us. Right? And so um, so basically with that being the case, it is referring to God's deity, but also to or sorry, to Christ's deity, but also his. Uh, his work on the cross. But then it goes on to say, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and blood. And the Spirit's the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. So now he goes on. He says... This is He who came by water and blood, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. So, another thing that He may have been doing, we learned a few weeks back, Pastor Trevor talked to us about what was going on during that time. Uh, the Gnostics were kind of early on in their start. Um, and basically, these Gnostics had infiltrated the church, and they were teaching that anything physical, such as the body, was bad, and the spiritual was good. And so, they were basically teaching that Jesus was a man who walked on earth. And then at his baptism, the Holy Spirit, God came on him and empowered him to do everything during his ministry. But then in the Garden of Gethsemane, God left him. said, see you later. And then he died just a man on the cross. And so if you think about it, he is, given what's going on in the church, he's probably also talking about this. He's saying that Jesus Christ was God, came as our Savior, both at the water and with blood, and so the water referring to his baptism, but then the blood referring to his death on the cross. Um, and so basically Jesus is the Messiah, fully God and fully man, even at his death. Uh, Luke 23:46 says, "Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice, said, "Father, into your hands I commit my spirit." And having said this, he breathed his last. And this is what the Bible teaches that Christ died being fully God, and that this was how he was able to atone for our sins. Uh, it goes on to say in the next two verses, for there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. So this is very likely referring to three very specific times in his life where he was manifested as God incarnate, as God come to earth as man. Um, the water referring to his baptism, uh, we see that here in Matthew three sixteen through 17. It says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens opened to him, and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so again, this is at his baptism confirmation that Jesus is God. Um, and then blood referring to his crucifixion, Mark fifteen thirty nine. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. So his crucifixion also showed that he was God. And then finally, his resurrection, um, and this would be referring to the Spirit. and in, in Romans one verse three through four, um, this is Paul introducing himself and saying the purpose of his letter. Um, he says, "Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord." And so we see all throughout Christ's life from conception all the way to his resurrection, that the Holy Spirit was involved in his life. And so that is the third, that's the third testimony to Jesus being God. Um, so, and then it says, it says that of these three testaments, that these three agree. And this is, this is pretty cool. So the word for agree is actually one. And so it's kind of this word picture. The three are one. Um, and Basically, they're one in what they say about the Messiah. They're all saying the same thing. They're all saying that Jesus Christ was fully God, came to earth for our sins. Um, we, see, we see this same statement in John 1.1. It says, in the beginning was the word, referring to Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So right here, Jesus is God. In John 1.14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so in these two verses, we see uh, the, uh, how Jesus is God and Jesus is man at the same time. Um, and so our key, uh, our key faith point here would really be that our faith allows us to believe the testimony of the Spirit because ultimately it is the Spirit that is testifying to us. All right, so moving on to verse nine through 12. It says, and if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him to be a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So it starts off, if, we've re- if we receive the testimony of men, so what is that referring to? It's referring to our testimonies, whether verbal or whether acting out our faith. And so we see in Luke 3.16, and this is, the, uh, this is John the Baptist. This is one of the testimonies of men. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am unworthy or I am not worthy to untie he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, and so this was John the Baptist testifying of Christ to come uh, in acts two thirty eight we see Peter after christ 's ascension uh, preaching, and this is him testifying of the Christ that came. It says, "Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." And just through these two testimonies themselves, literally thousands of people came to Christ. So it's amazing. That's amazing. But here's the deal. It says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, which I think is absolutely amazing. So, so greater, the Greek word for that is megas, which I think is awesome because it's God's mega testimony. And um, so I like to think about it that way. So so if you think about it, it's not dependent on us. So I could come here and I could be a Billy Graham, you know, clearly, eloquently preaching the gospel to everybody, you know, seeing thousands of people come to know the Lord. Or I could literally stand up here and say, blah, 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 and, you know, just completely fall apart up here. But it doesn't matter because what matters is the testimony of God. You know, a lot of us, we have things in our past, even in our past Christian life that we are just absolutely ashamed of that would make us very um, intimidated to share the gospel with somebody. Um, Or, you know, we just have these horrible feelings about ourselves because such a horrible witness to Christ. But ultimately, it's about God's mega-testimony. And so because of that, we shouldn't be afraid to share. We have no reason to be ashamed to share. It says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself, And this is one of the strongest testimonies. So the testimony of God that lives within us, I know that the testimony of God is true. And through the testimony of God in my life, he's able to pour into other people's lives. Um, Then it goes on to say, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony of himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. So, Basically, just to break this down, guys, God can't lie, right? It says in Numbers twenty-three, nineteen, God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said it and will he not do it? Or as he or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it. So God can't lie. So basically maybe a better way to put this is because is that the unbeliever has made God out to be a liar or has called God a liar. And so I, th- I want you to think about this way. So in 1519, Ferdinand Magellan, he circumnavigated the globe, right? Well, before then, there were a lot of people who believed that the Earth was flat. There were some people who, you know, who did believe that it was round. Obviously, Ferdinand Magellan believed it was round. But, um, you know, after he did that, that was good, solid proof that the Earth was round. And since then, many people have sailed around the world, flown around the world, even been in the International Space Station as it's gone around the world, And so it is a known fact that the world is round. To most people, I found out in spring of this year that apparently some people still literally believe that the earth is flat. So in March of 2018, this guy, um, he, I'm sure that he knew plenty of people who had sailed around the world, who had flown around the world, and who told him, no, the earth is truly round. It really is. Trust me, I've flown around the world. But he refused to believe that. So he, can we go ahead and get the slide He went ahead and he built his own homemade rocket at much expense to himself and turns out to be at much physical pain as well to launch himself up into the air to prove to everybody else, yep, there's the edge of the earth. It's flat, right? So, you know, what is he doing? All of those people that he knew who said, yeah, I sailed around the world or I flew around the world. He's telling them, you're liars. I don't believe you. I don't care what the facts are. You know, I don't care what you say the facts are. They're as flat. So he's calling them liars. And, and this is what happens. You know, God's mega testimony is truth. Whenever he testifies to us, that is the truth. And so somebody who rejects that is literally calling God a liar. Um, and so what does that mean for us? That means that whenever we share our testimony, whenever we live our lives as a testimony, we don't need to be afraid about people rejecting us because you know what? They're not rejecting us. They're rejecting God's mega testimony. They're calling him a liar, and it's tragic, but it's true. Uh, So what is this testimony? It, It says here very specifically, God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. So whenever I was a kid, I thought that eternal life meant you die, you go to heaven, you live forever. Okay, that's great, and that's, that's not a bad deal. But life is not just, you know, the Krebs cycle producing ATP, which then allows this bag of organelles to be able to go on living for forever. That's not, that's not what this word life means. This is absolute fullness of life. So this is, you know, we're, we're all worried about quality of life and stuff like that. I, imagine this is the ultimate quality of life in God. So that's really what the word means. It's the ultimate quality of life in God. And eternal, of course, meaning without end. And so, what it's saying here is the person who has the son has this ultimate quality of life in God that will never end. But unfortunately, the person who doesn't does not have this life. Uh, so, our next, uh, our next, and uh, final faith key point uh, from this passage is that our faith is a result of God's mega testimony in our lives. And so, this is you know, this is what it's all about. This really does all hinge on faith. So. I um, promised pastor that I'd spend some time in application. And it's, I mean, it's, really, it's really where it all comes down to. So, so I tried to break this down into our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Because remember, that's what, that's what he says, all the law and the prophets hang on is our relationship with God and our relationship with others. So in terms of our relationship with God, you know, we see the importance from this passage, the importance of faith in God's mega-testimony. This leads to that eternal life that we were just talking about. Romans five eight says, "But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us." John three sixteen says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life." So that's that. That's that ultimate quality of life in God without end. Ephesians two eight through nine says, "For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing." It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, and this is one of the things that I want us to remember. So, we're talking about faith. This isn't just about gritting your teeth and forcing yourself to believe. This faith is a gift. There's nothing we can do to earn it. This is the free gift that God's given us. Um, So, looking at 5 verse 1, we saw there that we can have assurance of our salvation. We can be absolutely sure of our salvation. Because it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And so if we believe, we know that we're saved, right? So we can have assurance of our salvation. Obedience is born out of a sincere love for God. We talked about how love and obedience, how they go hand in hand. So you're not going to be able to obey God if you don't truly love him. And if you truly love him, you are going to obey God as well. Um, We also learned in verse 3 that obedience is not a burden, If we're struggling with ways to obey, we need to change our focus. We need to focus on getting to know God better, on deepening our relationship with him. And that will make obedience easy. Uh, We saw in 5 verse 4 that our faith does so much more than just simply getting us into heaven. It's the power to overcome the world. And so we need to go back to the root of our faith, Christ, and really refocus our lives on him. Uh, And then in relation to others, so we have the ability to love even the, quote, unlovable. So, And we know this because Romans 5, eight. so backing up a little bit, so we saw that God loves us with God's type of love, and because of that, we're supposed to love God back with that same type of love. And as we love God back with the godly love, we're going to automatically love others with that same godly love. So the reason I say we can even love the quote unlovable is that in Romans 5.8, it says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners— Christ died for us. So I was literally sitting there shaking my fist at God and saying, I hate you. And at that moment, he stretched out his hand and he said, I love you. And because of that, because he said that, because he did that for me, I should have no problems doing that with others. And so whenever I'm struggling, that's just because I don't truly understand his love. Um. We also saw in 5 verse 9 that uh, that the greatest testimony is the testimony of God. And the reason that this is application is because, again, it doesn't matter what we've done in the past, even what we've done in our saved past. It doesn't matter if we're eloquent or if we're a disaster. It doesn't matter if we're witnessing to somebody who all of a sudden throws all of these questions that we can't answer at them. None of that matters because it's not our testimony. It's God's mega-testimony. And the thing to remember is that the love of God through us to others— brings his mega testimony into their lives as our transformation becomes evident to them. Uh, And so, you know, this brings us back to the big picture. Faith is the key resulting in eternal life, assurance of salvation, and it overcomes the world. And these faith key points, just to kind of reiterate them, faith is essential to our relationship as sons and daughters of God. Faith gives us the freedom to obey God's commands. Faith gives us the victory over the world. And then faith allows us to believe in the testimony of the Spirit. And then finally, faith is a result of God's mega testimony in our lives. So let's go ahead and close in prayer, please. Lord God, we just thank you so much that you've brought your word uh, to me, that you've changed uh, my life through this uh, study. And Lord, I just pray that not my words, but that your word would, uh, would change the lives of the people hearing. Uh, Lord, I just pray that if there's uh, anybody here who, uh, who does not know your mega testimony, Lord, that you would, uh, that you would just uh, convict them, that they wouldn't resist you. And Lord, for those of us who, um, who struggle to love, who struggle to obey, uh, who struggle to accept your love, Lord, I just pray that, that we would take the time and that we would get to know you better, that we would understand your love in a much deeper way. And that, Lord, through that, that you would be able to use us. Lord, I just thank you so much for your love.